Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 faith talk 570 wtbn pinellas park online at letstalkfaith.com a service of the salem versions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time odyssey the following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time up next is verse by verse sponsored by verse by verse ministries as you read through first timothy you see that the emphasis that Paul lays is not so much upon behavior, but upon doctrine, sound doctrine, which leads us to understand that, Timothy, the way that you, that you instruct people how to behave in the household of God is that you teach them the truth of the Word of God. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. As we look ahead through, well, not only this year, but the future years that God has for us, I was thinking about how beneficial this series, The Walk of the New Man, is going to be in our lives. Pastor Steve has been teaching us the importance of right thinking as a basis for our behavior. I'm grateful to Pastor Steve and other pastors who clearly preach the truth of God's Word to us. In a world where truth is, shall we say, individualized, folded, spindled, and mutilated, knowing that we are being taught the truths of the Bible is a great blessing. Paul, in writing to Timothy, stressed the importance of a pastor knowing the Word of God and faithfully feeding their flock thus protecting the flock from destructive error. We have more great teaching coming our way today on Verse by Verse, featuring the teaching ministry of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you have your Bible handy, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And now, here is Pastor Steve. I'd like you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I want to show you some of this. I feel very strongly about this because we, we live in an age where people are so experience-oriented that they would bypass the very revelation of God, and they, they live for that experience. But that experience needs to be based on sound thinking, which is the revealed word of God. First Timothy is a book that, uh, you know it's a book, right? But I didn't finish my, my statement. It is a book that is, uh, that is wrapped around the theme of verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 14 and 15. Our elders were just having a Bible study Thursday night before our meeting and discussing this, and it's fresh in my mind, so let me share it with you. Paul writes, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. He says, I'm writing these things, Timothy. I, I hope to come to you before too long. But in case I'm delayed, I write, here's the reason I'm writing, here's the very purpose of this letter. If you want to understand 1 Timothy, this is the heart of it, this is the theme of it, this is the thrust of it. I write so that you, Timothy, may know 
how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So first Timothy is all about sound conduct, right? I mean, you can see that in black and white. I'm writing so that you might know, so that you might, might tell these people how they ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. But you know what's interesting is you read through first Timothy, you see that the emphasis that Paul lays is not so much upon behavior, but upon doctrine, sound doctrine, which leads us to understand that Timothy, the way that you, that you instruct people how to behave in the household of God is that you teach them the truth of the word of God. Let me, let me just show you some emphasis. Turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's just go through this so you don't just take it for granted that, uh, that I've done my homework. I want you to see it with your own eyes. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Right at the beginning, he starts this. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. First thing you want to do, Timothy, make sure that they're not teaching error. They're going to teach the truth. First thing. Chapter 3, verse 2. I'm just pulling some out. There are more in here. Chapter 3, verse 2. He speaks about the qualifications of an elder and a pastor. And at the end of verse 2, he says, he must be able to teach. Now, this word able to teach does not mean that he needs to be able to stand up uh, from the pulpit and, or, and have the gift of teaching and expound the word of God. You know what it means? He needs to be able, when the, when the uh, heretics come in and try to confound and confuse the flock, he needs to be able to stand up for the truth and to instruct precious believers in the word of God, maybe one-to-one, maybe a little group of people, and say, this is error and this is true. That's why an elder must know the word of God. It isn't just that he's a good guy. It isn't that he's been in the church for a while. He needs to be able to show what error is and protect the flock by building in the truth. It means he needs to disciple people. It means he needs to be, be instructing the truth. He needs to be apt to teach, able to, to know. He needs to know the word of God, and he needs to be able to uh, refute the heretics and teach the truth. doesn't mean he needs to have the gift of teaching. But there he is. Timothy, make sure that when the elders are chosen, these men are men of the word. He's not talking about a gift. He's just talking about the knowledge of the word of God. Chapter 4, verse 6, he says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Chapter 4, verse 11 prescribe and teach these things. Now, we're not, we're not so much interested at this point in the context of what he's saying. I'm just showing that he keeps saying, teach, sound doctrine, prescribe, command, hold forth these things. Chapter 4, verse 16, the beginning. <coughs> Timothy, pay attention to yourself or take heed to yourself and what? And to your teaching. Make sure, Timothy, that you are not just teaching the truth, you are living the truth, but also, Timothy, make sure about your teaching. Remain in sound doctrine. Chapter 5, verse 7, prescribe these things or keep commanding these things as well so that they may be above reproach. Build in the truth. Invest your life in the truth so that they'll live a life of blamelessness. Chapter 5, verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Honor them. Make sure that's a priority of the church, not so much to honor them, but make sure that there's the word of God going forth in such a way by the elders that some of them are working hard at preaching and teaching. Chapter 6, verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. In other words, there's instruction there 
Don't just tell them what not to do. Instruct them about the truth, Timothy, verse 18. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Chapter 6, verse 20. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. What's been entrusted to him? The truth? The word of God? Trust or, or, or guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Verse 21. Which some have professed and have thus gone astray from the faith. So how do you make sure that the church is, is on target with sound living, with proper conduct? How do we know how to conduct ourselves in the, amongst ourselves in the church? Well, you have to have proper thinking first. You have to have the truth built into you. What is the area that Satan attacks most? You know, most of us have this silly saying, not most of us, but, but I should say the secular world has a silly saying, and I hear sometimes Christians say, the devil made me do that. The devil doesn't make us do anything. We do it, but he tempts us to do things. And you know the area that he uses, that he attacks? It's the mind. Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Satan attacks the mind. He is the enemy of the mind. He doesn't even bother with the flesh. Why? We'll take care of that. We'll take care of the flesh. He just attacks the mind. Chapter 11, verse 3. But I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Satan attacks the mind. If he can get a hold of your mind with all the, the garbage of the world, everything else takes care of itself. Then he's got hold of you. You see, First John says he's a liar. Satan is a liar. And lies are directed to the mind. He lies, he twists scripture, he tempted Eve by lying to her, his craftiness. Not only that, but 1 Timothy, one of the, uh, one of the verses that we did not look at in specifically, says this, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, but the Spirit ex explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith or depart from the faith. Why? They're paying attention to deceitful spirits and what? Doctrines of demons. All error can be traced back to Satan. He perverts the truth. And usually it's in such a subtle way that it's, that it's difficult to tell. That's why God says we're to be discerning. That's why God says we're to know the word of God. Doctrines of demons. That's why the Bible is so, is so judgmental on false teachers and false prophets. And, and Jude, Jude, verse 3 and 4, really hits home on this. Jude was about to write a letter. We assume that Jude was about to sit down and write a letter, something like Romans, a doctrinal letter about our common salvation, because he says in verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, he said, I, I was making an effort. I, Jude probably would have penned a great, great letter like Romans. He said, I felt the necessity. I was urged to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. God has given, he's not talking about personal faith now, the body of revelation called the faith, New Testament doctrine. And, and Jude is saying, I, I'm writing now that you might earnestly contend for that new, for those New Testament truths. Why? Verse four, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long before marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons. Now, you know that they're going to teach Error, right? You know that already. But because they believe error, their life is going to be marked by sensual sins. Look at the rest of verse 4. These are ungodly persons who what? They turn the grace of our God 
into licentiousness, into sensuality, into vile impurity, and they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is they want to sweep you with all of this vileness and garbage as well. So we are to contend for the faith. Why? Because if we don't contend for the faith, then we're going to be swept into error. And if we're swept into error in our thinking, then we're going to be swept into error in our living. So I say this to you and to my own heart, we must never depart from the content of the word of God. Even if you go away from here thinking, my, he didn't apply it much today, this morning, tonight. There wasn't much application for me. Listen, by just understanding the very content of scripture, we are, we are building into you, building into myself, these great, great truths that will keep us from error. What you think about the Lord and about his word and the truth of his word, even if you can't see its application for you, what you think will affect how you live. And so we must be on guard for that. And we, we say this so important. It's so important because the past walk was without any direction. Now we have direction and we cannot ignore it. So we used to walk as pagans and it fit us well. It really fit us well. In fact, Ephesians 2, verses uh, 1 and 2, say what we were like. We were once dead in trespasses and sins, in which we formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. That was the way we were, and it was very natural. But things have changed. Let's look at the present walk. Look at verse 20. The most important word there, perhaps, is this. The first word, but... You did not learn Christ in this way. There is a contrast. You once were like this, and you walk like this, and you behave like this, but something took place. You're different. You didn't learn Christ that way. The, the past walk is contrary to Christ. And in the Greek language, this is, this is what would be very emphatic. In other words, it would be, as for you, I mean, you're different. You don't walk like the pagans do. You shouldn't walk like the pagans do. As for you, in other words, you're different. You're different because you now are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The pagan walks in darkness, ignorance, futility of his mind, but the Christian learns the truth in Christ. He's different. What does it mean to learn Christ? It doesn't just mean to learn about him. It means to know him. It means to know the truths about him, to become a disciple of his, to have the very minds of Christ, it also means that we know the, the, the high standards of morality that go along with accepting Christ. We have learned Christ. We've met him in a personal way. Therefore, our minds are different. We have been, in a sense, unionized with him. We have the very mind of Christ indwelling us. We know the high standards of morality. We don't walk in darkness anymore. We've learned Christ. Because we know Christ, we're to be different. And how different? Well, Paul clarifies what he means by this. Look at verse 21. If indeed, now he's, he's just clarifying verse 20. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. In other words, he says, I'm assuming. He's not really questioning whether they're saved or not. He says, I'm assuming that you've heard Christ and you've been instructed in him. Now, how did they hear Christ? They, they weren't around Jerusalem when the Lord was. They weren't there at the triumphal entry, which we studied this morning. How did they hear Christ? How do we hear Christ? The Bible says in John chapter 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Now, I know there are some people who say, the Lord says this to me, and I heard an audible voice here, and, uh, but they're wrong. How do we hear Christ today? We hear the voice of Christ through the preaching of the word of God. 
This word is his voice. And when someone proclaims the word, they hear it. I recognize that, that uh, even while I'm preaching here, if I'm accurate of the, with the word of God, that you're not hearing just me. You're hearing the very voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, not audibly, but in, internally, in your spirit speaking to you. When we witness to somebody and we explain the gospel, they must hear Christ's voice. His sheep hear his voice. They know him. They're sensitive to his voice. They follow him. And so he simply means that these people had heard the voice of Christ through the preaching of the word, and they had been instructed by him. The Spirit of God instructs us. The Lord Jesus instructs us. Even though we may use a man, he may use an instrument, he still is the resident teacher. He still is the one teaching. And what they had heard was what? The truth, because truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. There is no error in him. There is no lie in him. There is no darkness in him. There is no futility of mind in him. Truth is in Jesus. So he's saying that that you have learned something different. You've learned the truth from Christ. You've met him. You know him. You know the gospel. You know what the demands of discipleship are all about because you've learned Christ. Now, the question is, what have these Ephesians been taught specifically? Well, they've been taught a lot of things, right? In order to be a Christian, you have to know the truth about sin, about God, about the Lord Jesus Christ, about the atonement, his death for us, about faith, lots of things. Now, you don't need to know a great deal. You don't have to be great theologians, but you do need to know basic truths in order to be saved. But they had also been instructed in the truth about holiness. The question is this. He's speaking about holiness. He says you've been instructed in the truth, but the question is this. What exactly is the truth that they had been taught that leads to holiness? What have they been taught? If pagan futility and darkness leads to immorality, then what is the truth that sets Christians free and leads to holiness and righteousness? Well, I think the answer is in verses 22 through 24, so let's look at it. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, let me try to make this as clear and as plain as possible. What is the old man? Basically, the old man is all that we were in Adam before our salvation. It's our sinfulness. It's everything we were in Adam before knowing Christ. It's the old man. It's the pagan walk. It's us before salvation. That's as simple as I could explain it. It's the former way we were. And what is the new man? The new man is all that we are in Christ. All that we've been studying in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, all that we have, forgiveness, redemption, holiness, blamelessness, righteousness, a new mind, all that's in Christ is the new man. Righteous and holiness in the Lord, clothed in his righteousness. It's probably a good expression because we're speaking about clothing, a covering. Now, I have read a lot of commentaries this week and last week concerning this, and I'm not pleased with most of them. Now, I'm not setting myself above them, but I, I want to tell you, what most of them interpret this to be saying. Most Bible commentaries say that Paul is commanding these believers to lay aside the old self and put on themselves the new self. And I, I think that's wrong, and I'll tell you why. You can't know it just from, the, just from the, uh, the grammar. There has to be something more. There is something about the grammar, but not totally, that would indicate that, uh, that that's really not what Paul was saying. I take it, and I'm going to explain in a moment why I take it, that he's telling us that this has already taken place in the past. 
He's simply reminding them of the truth that they had already been taught in Jesus, and now they just need to appropriate that and remember that. Have a renewed mind. Let me tell you why I I don't think he's giving a fresh command. I think he's giving, just reminding them of old commands that he had taught them. Number one, in the grammar, this is an aorist tense. Now, an aorist tense means past action most of the time, punctiliar, something that happened in the past, in a point in time. That's the tenses that are used here. Now, the main reason I hold that he's not commanding them, but just reminding them of the truth they had already been taught is the context. For one thing, he's been referring to the truth that they have already been taught in Christ. They had already been taught this. That's the context. As truth is in Jesus, you've learned him, you've been taught, you've heard him, you've been taught in him, and so forth. That's the context. But there's something more to the context. Look at verse 25. This is where he begins to apply it. And Lord willing, we'll see this next week in the application of this. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, and so forth. Therefore. Now, on down through this chapter, he he begins to command them, begins to make practical application. It wouldn't make sense to say, therefore, if he was already commanding them in the verses before. Let me explain. Therefore builds upon what has just been written. It always does. I mean, that's why you say, therefore. And you wouldn't base a command upon another command. That's just not done in Scripture. You don't base a command on another command. You uh, have present commands which are built upon past facts. That's just Paul's way of, of always dealing with things. We said before, here's the facts. Here's the doctrine. Here's the content. Therefore, I want you to do this. You don't say, I command you to do this. I command you to do this. I command you to do this. Therefore, I command you to do this. That, that doesn't make sense. Commands are based upon facts, not other previous commands. So the error is tense. The context, there's another reason. I'd like you to turn over just two books to Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Now, you know that Scripture interprets Scripture. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And when there's a parallel passage in Scripture, you've got to go to that because that gives great uh, light. It sheds great light upon other passages. The parallel passage to this in Ephesians is Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. And in Colossians 3, 9 and 10, it is very clear, very clear, that, that it is in the past. And maybe, maybe I think I said that it was aorist in, in Ephesians. Maybe the, the real thought here is that this is aorist, and so we put them together. Do not lie one to another, since you laid aside the old self with practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Now, that's very clear here. In the past, you put off the old self, and you've also put on the new self. And, and if you examine this passage, you'll see how similar it is to what Paul is teaching in Ephesians. So it's already taken, taken place. So Paul isn't giving the Ephesians fresh commands, but reminding them of old truths they had been, that he had taught them. This is the truth they had been taught in Jesus. Now what is this truth? At the moment of our salvation, we exchanged our, own, our old clothes for a new set of clothes. This is the imagery that Paul uses here. Dramatic way. It's just dramatic imagery of showing that we've had a break with our past. How can we illustrate it? Think of a military man. Someone who's been in the service for years. Military man, he, he, he retires from service. He takes off his uniform for perhaps the last time. Takes it off, he puts it on a hanger, and he hangs it up in the closet. He looks at that, that represents his old way of life. Because he's retired now. He takes a new uh, suit out of the closet and he puts it on himself, puts on his civilian clothes, 
Now he has to act like a civilian. He's no longer a soldier. He doesn't have to behave like a soldier. And in fact, he shouldn't behave like a military man. He's in his civvies now, and he ought to act like a civilian. That's what Paul's really getting at. We've put off the old life. We're not to act that way anymore. We've put on the new self, the new man. We're to act that way. So, how are your new clothes fitting? I like the illustration Pastor Steve used as he wrapped up today's program. When we accepted the gift of salvation offered by Jesus Christ, the break from our past was a dramatic break. Taking off the old man, putting on the new man. And then Pastor Steve had an important reminder. Since we've put on the new man, we need to act new. We are in the middle of a series called The Walk of the New Man. We have much more to learn from the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff. However, perhaps you might have missed one of the preceding programs. If that's the case, I would invite you to head on over to versebyverseradio.org. Click on the Archive tab and find the program you missed. We will be back next time to continue our series on Verse by Verse, featuring the teaching ministry of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And I certainly hope you are able to join us then.